Okay. Hello. Oh my goodness. Like another episode of the Becoming Cosmically You podcast. And actually, Michael, you are the first guy that has been on the show. So welcome. <laughs> um, Thank you. That's yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I only seem to attract women for some reason. I don't know why that is, but you know, I'm always glad to have an equal amount of energy, masculine and feminine, however that looks in male or female form. So it's beautiful to have you here. So I don't know whether you want to start by sharing your story and who you are or where you began. Like, over to you. Whatever you were, wherever you want to start, Michael. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so I'll start at the beginning. I was adopted yeah. at birth. Uh, my biological mother was 15, and she couldn't keep me, so she gave me up for adoption. I was oh, wow. adopted by um, parents that were married for seven years and couldn't have children. They kept trying, and they couldn't have them. And my father desperately wanted a child to pass everything on to. And my mother, not as much. Um, but there was... It was a... The, it was a meeting of the minds, and my dad kind of won the battle, right? And mm. my parents, for everything that they were, they had their own generational trauma, which they didn't understand at the time. I was born in 79, so it wasn't really talked about back then. Mm. And they were a little bit on the older side because they were married late and then tried to have kids for years, and they couldn't have them. So I believe my mom, if I remember correctly, was 37 when they adopted me, or 36 and a half. So they were a little bit on the older side. Uh, and then three and a half years later, they had a natural baby because I guess the pressure was off. So, you know, that they had their own natural baby. That's my sister. It was a very interesting life to, in childhood because my father was all concerned about financially providing and creating that safety. But there was zero emotional safety. Mm. Um, there was some physical abuse from my adoptive mother. And then there was which I call my mother. I don't even say about adopted, but she was my mother and she did the best she could, but she had her own generational trauma that was undealt with. Yeah. So there was physical abuse and then there was also emotional abuse. Mm. The emotional abuse is always worse than the physical. Yeah. The physical bruises heal. The emotional, I still remember the words. They still rip through me from time to time. Mm. Um, so over the course of years, three and a half, I was four and a half years old when they had my sister. So, the first four and a half years, it was just me. Then it was my sister was there also. And my father was always working very hard to financially provide. And that was his focus. Mm. He figured that was his way of expressing himself emotionally. Yeah. And it left, and it left him very stifled. Mm. Because the only three times in my life I saw my dad cry was when his mother, when his mother died, when his sister died, and when my mother died. But I do believe that was tears of joy in some way. Because... Oh, wow. He spent the rest of his life pointing blame and shame towards her. Oh, so uh, okay. She passed away in a chron of a chronic disease in 2011, I believe, 2012, one of those years. I think it was 11 because my son wasn't born yet. But it was somewhere in that range, 11 or 12. And my father passed away last August. So there was that window of time where it was just him and him, he... He turned all his unfulfilled hopes and dreams and took that anger and blamed and shamed it all towards her existence. Okay. So he became emotional, but in a very negative way. And then the last 
last three to four months of his life, he finally found his own peace. Mm. It was a very tedious process for him, and he needed the pain, he needed the influence, he needed his own mortality to really find his peace. Wow. Um, now, during that childhood, I had a couple very close near-death experiences, and that is when my spirituality came into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the first time. And then I came back with all the clear, the, all the clear gifts, clear cognizant, clear avoidant, clear sentient, clear. Uh, what else? Oh, the audience. Clara, yeah, the audience. Um, clear cognizant. Cognizance. As well. Yeah. Yeah, cognizance. Uh, and then I also realized I was a healer, and I was able to see timelines. I was able, you know, through the clairvoyance and a few other things. So there was like all these things, and I'm going through this emotional abuse at the same time. And then I started using that as leverage to keep people away from me. Mm. Like if somebody was that I didn't get a good feel from them, I didn't get, I didn't like their vibration, which I didn't understand at the time. But now reflecting is always 2020, right? So it's easy to see everything for what it is when you're an adult looking back objectively and when you're living it in the moment. And what I did was when somebody's vibe, I didn't like their energy, I didn't like where they were. And I felt and I saw what was going to come their way. I would just tell them. I'd be like, you know, your per- this person's going to die. This is how they're going to die. This is what's going to happen. And, oh, it wow. did a really good, <laughs> and it did a really good job of keeping people away for a very long time. Um, and then the the abuse really had took a toll on me. And I started drinking at nine and doing hardcore drugs at 12. Wow. So when I started the hardcore drugs, I OD'd three times the first week of doing them. At 12 yeah. years old? Yeah, 12 years old. Wow. So it was a very interesting experience, and it led to understanding myself at a much deeper level, but still running and hiding because I didn't get sober until 2006. Mm. So I started using it at that high level in 1991. And there was those years in between, that 15, 16 years of just trying to get out of this world. I call it my death wish phase because I kept pushing extremes. I kept trying to do more and more. I kept trying to chase. I was driving under the influence. I was doing all these different things just to try and end it. Uh And the same message just kept coming back. It's not your time. Uh And, And I didn't want to accept that. I felt like I felt like because of the abuse that I had to have more control of my own life. And the only way I tried to control was by trying to get out of my own life, which was mm-hmm. a very sad way to exist. Looking mm-hmm. back, um, I didn't, I couldn't, I never loved myself. I mean, the first time I told myself that I loved me was August of 2020. Mm-hmm. The first time I said that I'm, I, I was in love with me was August of 2021. And then last year, I had a major stroke through the places in my brain. Um, and there was an 86% chance that I'd be a vegetable. And as you can tell, I'm not a vegetable. Wow. So I, I healed myself. Yeah. Through healing stasis, quantum healing, and sound healing, frequency uh-huh. healing. Wow. Um, over the course of this period of time, I made many mistakes, many wrong choices, because I didn't understand anything about anything. So when I got sober in 2006, I started healing that part of it, but I never really healed the emotions. Mm. So those emotions were stuck and I was still living in patterns and behaviors, even being sober. I stayed sober. I've been sober ever since. So over 17 years, fantastic. But I was miserable. I was absolutely still miserable. 
So I found way, other ways to hide by creating business, building business, working in business, trying to chase outside accolades, mm. you know, all these different escapisms, whatever it was, watching sports, being around sports, all these different things to try and avoid who I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times I was told, no matter how many times I was shown, I wanted not to live into anything. Just how could I be anything more than my experience? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I I really own that label of being the traumatized, abused individual and living into victimhood. Yeah. So I carried the victimhood like a badge of honor. And that is how I showed up in the world is in that victim mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's I got such a beautiful point. I just want to pause there, Michael, and and, and mm-hmm. just um just allow that point to come across again like that is such an important point because I think a lot of people in in our society are wearing badges and labels and often it's easier to hide behind that label of I was abused as a child so that gives me the reason to behave in a certain way or have certain things or have excuses right but actually we are not our trauma and you know we are not what our parents did to us or made us believe of ourselves and I just wanted to reiterate that point because it's so important and a lot of people that I'm speaking to Michael have and including me you know we have the same badges if you like it's almost Mm -hmm. like we uh, put up our hands before we came into this life and said yeah I'll have that badge that's me you know so yes such an important point thank you for sharing that yeah carry on sorry I just wanted to um Um no, I agree with you. Uh, what I've learned through this process over, you know, especially the last five years, which I'll get into next, but what I've learned is really to release all labels, no matter what the label mm. is, just release them all and don't own them. It can be a facet of me because I'm multifaceted. We all are, mm. but it's never who I am. Yeah. Who I am is my core. Who I am is my soul. Who I am is my energy. Who I am is... There's so much more to all of us than the label, than the trauma, than the abuse, than the, than the wins, the, the external accolades also. Mm-hmm. Because that's the same as abuse, just in a different direction. Yeah. If, if you start receiving the external accolades, then you spend the rest of your life chasing them. Yeah. Because you're yeah. trying to live and fulfill into that. So, yeah, I talk with my hands a lot, so you know, we'll just go from there. Um, I think it's watching all those Italian movies when I was a kid. But... Um, <laughs> love it do whatever you want <laughs> it's a free so, for all here honestly yeah that's so important as well I love that point um that you made about the external accolades because you know in our industry I don't really relate to being a coach although I call myself a coach because it's just kind of easier to relate in the 3d world right to other people other humans but I see in our um niche especially within women there's a lot of wounding that goes on where women, and I don't know if you see it with your with men, Michael, but they're all chasing like big, crazy mm-hmm. money goals. You know, I remember seeing lots of posts in some of the Facebook groups are hanging and they kind of make me want to puke in my mouth. You know, they're like, we're chasing to be a billionaire. And I'm like, why the fuck are you doing that? Like, is that making you happy? It Will that oh, make you happy when you get there? Do you know that for sure? Like... I don't chase understand. Happiness, chase happiness and fulfillment. Your life will change drastically. Chase yeah. fulfillment. Because I don't yeah. think happiness is a permanent state. I believe that you can be in a state of peace. Yeah. And you can process the lower realms and then uh, and then live into the higher ones. But I don't think happiness is a permanent state. I also don't think chasing anything is the way we should live. Yeah. 
You know, we need to move into the law of vibration and stand into our soul's purpose and allow everything that's meant for us to be attracted to us. Yeah. But that's not the way that universal laws are explained. And that's not the way that they explain manifestation because they want people to pay, spend money. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I always say, like, uh, take everything you read online with a pinch of salt. And most of it's complete bullshit, right? I mean, I I started back watching The Secret over 10 years ago. And I really loved that back then because it was like my way in of exploring this world and learning about it and kind of being curious about it and finding a home but now I say to people like there's so much more to what they Mm -hmm. tell you and there's so many layers and it's not just all about love and light and happiness you have to be able to like you say embody embody everything that you are and you'll never get to the end of that journey because like you said you were just multifaceted i like to always say that i am multi-dimensional and that's how i describe i say both i say both i say i'm multifaceted multi-dimensional spiritual being having a human experience yeah right because that understand that describes all the layers for no matter where somebody is at in their world and i don't use any of the other labels i don't use that i'm a ceo that i'm this i don't like the word coach even though i do like you use the word coach Mm -hmm. i guide better I always say I'm a business coach and a spiritual and a life guide, you yeah. know, like to me, because I feel like there's a very big difference between coaching and guiding. Yeah. Guiding is st- oh, side by side. Bad. And I'm not pretending to be an authority figure, because as you know, when we're working with people, we're not really an authority figure in their life. Mm-hmm. We are just a way out of infinite possibilities. Yeah. So we guide people based on our experience and our, and our wisdom, but it doesn't mean that we are an authority figure over them. There is no hierarchy. Mm. hierarchy is this human control mechanism that they created to really manipulate populations and so the next part of my story is i meet my ex-wife and it's not who i wanted to be with um but it was convenience for both of us neither of us wanted to be with each other and we both settled and i got her pregnant and then i said well if you're pregnant i might as well get married to you and that's what we did we got married because Mm -hmm. she was pregnant um and many things happened, and that was 2010 when we got married. My oldest was born in 2010, or no, we got married in 2009 then. My oldest was born in 2010, then I had one in 2012, then I had one in 2017. So I have a 13, and 11, and a 6-year-old right now. Oh, wow. Um, during this time, I kept abandoning myself, abusing myself, manip- you know, self-sabotaging myself in every way, every way possible. And there were some issues. She had some reactions to stuff and she had like almost a quasi nervous mental breakdown in 2016. Mm -hmm. And she kept going back into the hospital to try and get it regulated. And in that process, uh, we ended up losing everything we had because child services got involved. I had to stay home with the kids. I had to quit my jobs. There was no money coming in. So we lost everything. Um, I got a job offer in state of New York. We were living in South Florida at the time because that's where I was born and raised. I got a job offer in New York, so I moved up to New York. She took the kids. Keep it. She was at this time. She was still. She was pregnant with my youngest. And the only reason that she's not in this video is because she's sleeping, which is why I liked it. The fact that it was at five a.m. my time. She's out cold, which is a win because then I can focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was pregnant. She went out in January of uh, seventeen. She went out to Arkansas to go live with mutual friends of ours. Because it was a safe space for her to go, me to go focus on working, getting our feet back on the ground. I knew that they would support her. 
if she had more mental breakdowns or any of those things coming. And it was a safe place for her to go have our third child. Um, I went to New York to go work. And then when the child was about to be born, I went to Arkansas for the birth. I went out there to find that in her pregnancy, she was really mentally stabilized in many ways, wherever those hormones were, they stabilized her, the pregnancy hormones. So after the baby was born, I ended up getting into a fight with my boss in New York. We had this huge blowout because he kept calling me while I was in the delivery room and he wouldn't stop calling until I got on the phone. So I quit the job right there on the spot and I told him to go shove it. I didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up staying in Arkansas and I got, I started getting extremely depressed because I wasn't being true to myself. I couldn't be true to anyone around me. I felt like I was abandoning myself in every way, shape and form. Physically health wise, I got to the worst that I think I ever was in my life because I was just miserable. I was so miserable. I was very suffocated and stifled. The woman that was the wife of the husband of the house that my ex-wife was staying at and that I was staying at, my kids were staying at, had a lot of unhealed trauma. So it was very triggering to me. Mm -hmm. And it was the beginning of the trauma against my children. Mm -hmm. So I had a friend reach out to me and we talked and she's like a second mother to me. And she's like, you really sound bad. I'm like, I feel worse than I sound. Mm-hmm. And this was like six to nine months after my dog, my youngest was born. So mm-hmm. now we're up to 18. So we're somewhere in early 18. And she goes, well, I'll get you a ticket. Anytime you're ready to leave, I will get, I will have a ticket for you to come stay in the guest room down here and you can get your stuff back. You can get your life back together and come back to South Florida. I got so fed up by Father's Day of 2018, which was the same month that my youngest turned one years old, that I said, I'm done. I can't live like this stifled world anymore to where I am suffocating myself. Spiritually, I feel more disconnected than I've ever felt in my life. Emotionally, I felt tortured. Mentally, I just wanted to give up. But knowing my track record of not being able to get out of this lifetime, no matter how many times I tried in many different ways, Mm-hmm. I knew that that wasn't an option so I took my friend up on the ticket and I left oh, so wow. before I left my, my ex-wife and my kids I had a very long talk with my ex-wife and I said I know the first thing you're going to do is meet somebody online and then run and mm-hmm. then my the kids are going to get hurt and I said I can't tell you not to do what you need to do for your own journey which is take the kids and run But what I can ask is that you at least allow me to continue communication with my children and we will work out a civil divorce and I'll get you money and we'll do all these different things. And then we'll work out 50-50 custody and all these things. And she agreed. Mm -hmm. What I didn't realize is the pregnancy hormones were 100% out of her body and that she was nuts already. She was meeting a guy that she met online before I even got on the plane. And Mm -hmm. when I got on the plane, all three of my kids were bawling their brains out. Because they had to drop me off at the airport. They've never been anywhere without me. I was their safety in life. And she went straight to go meet the guy. So that was the first time my kids met the guy. The same day that I got on the airplane. Within three weeks, she moved my kids five hours across the state. In with the guy. After knowing him for three weeks. Three or four weeks. I had no access to my kids for five, six months. Because I I didn't know where they were. I had to I had to hack her credit card to confirm where they were located 
I was doing well visits. I was trying to call in the police, trying to make sure that my kids are okay. She still would refuse to give me access. And I went back to Florida and I finally started facing myself. The dark nights of the soul, whatever you want to call it, right? Like there's labels for all those things too, right? We give everything a label so that we can give it power over others or entice to get financially rewarded for working in a space or creating labels around that. Um, so I started that true dark night of the soul and it was, it was months of crying. It was months of misery. It was months of being tortured. Um, after being in Florida for a year and having semi contact with my kids and having some well visits, like at least knowing where they were located, I didn't know at the time, but she told the school system that I died. So as far as the school system was concerned, I was dead. I didn't exist. The boy, her boyfriend took the role, was telling my children that they were going to have his last name, that I wanted nothing to do with them. Meanwhile, I'm calling them left and right, and I'm blocked. My number is blocked. Reaching out through social media, they blocked me there, too. I was sending cops, and they was just they, there was a lot of nepotism because it was a part of the United States where there was a big drug issue. And the boyfriend was in a biker gang that was moving drugs for one of the cartels. So it ended up being this whole big enmeshment of more drama. So right before COVID started in the U S in 2020 and like became, you know, the, the, whatever it was not started, but became what it was before the world shut down. Let's put it that way. um, I got evidence of abuse against my children, pictures and videos on my phone and I didn't recognize the number and it was my ex-mother-in-law her mother and her sister sent them to me and that was like I'm trying to remember the date but it was somewhere around the middle of February of 2020 Mm -hmm. so this is after me being in Florida for a year and a half really working starting to work on myself starting to understand myself a little bit better starting to figure out ways to work and heal and resolve and face my own trauma and then I see the pictures of the abuse and it's like this is my childhood all over again and uh, my kids are being silenced and I'm not protecting them. And I left for financial to try and rebuild my life. And my father was emotionally void and just not there financially, not there emotionally. I'm re- I just recreated and created that generational trauma. Mm. And I, I went into this huge blame and shame spiral. And then I realized that with $3 and 46 cents in my name, I got in my car the next morning well, two, two mornings later, packed for eight days and decided I was going to go drive to find out what I could do legally. Um, that's a 1,300-mile drive. That's a lot of kilometers. Yeah. Um, and I had $3.47 to my name. Okay. Now, so when I started this drive, I didn't know how I was going to do anything. And as I'm on this drive, people, angels, whatever you want to call them, rallied support around me. The first night I needed to sleep in a hotel, they found a way to pay for it for me. I was also owed money by a few of the companies I was working for. They weren't able to come through. But as I got to Arkansas, my father called me. And he said, I'm getting on a plane and I'll see you tomorrow. I said, okay. So he flew to a close by city. I went and picked him up. This is a very rural area where everything is hours and hours away. Mm-hmm. And I was I was staying an hour away from where my kids were because I knew that the boyfriend threatened my life if I ever came near them that he would say he would kill me. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it wasn't about my own safety. It was about finding a way to protect my children. Mm-hmm. That's all that mattered. 
So I pick my dad up at the airport and he says, we're going to go get you a lawyer tomorrow. Now, I didn't find out till after this was done, like, you know, after two years of fighting for my kids, two years getting custody, moving up to Pennsylvania, starting my new life with my children, which was more trauma and drama. But I didn't realize this till after, but he, he said to me, he said, you're doing what I could never do. So I'm going to help you get it done. Oh, wow. This is how I can pay you back. And he paid for the lawyer. He got me a hotel because um, they filed paperwork. And then 11 days later, they finally gave me emergency custody of my kids in March 6th of 2020. Um, and within a week, the world shut down. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, I'm already there two weeks and I have packed for eight days. So 19 months later, I finally was awarded full custody. So I was stranded the, all of COVID in a rural area, completely opposite of anything I've ever lived in, away from anyone I ever knew, and raising three kids by myself that are just coming out of this abuse. Mm -hmm. So during that 19 months, I was working with coaches, I was working with guides, I worked with shamans, I worked with priests, I worked with rabbis, anyone I could find online to work with, to build connection and to heal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And as I started healing my trauma, my gifts, my abilities, my everything started leveling up. Mm -hmm. Because when you start clearing that channel, you become a clear channel. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's where I learned to really, truly love the Shrek statement. You know, we're all an onion. It's a layer at a time. And it makes perfect sense now. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I thought, hey, I could rip the bandit off. I can go heal. It's going to be easy. I'm going to do. That was the most excruciating feeling. I went literally six months of crying every single day for hours and journaling every single day for hours. And what I did was I went through audiobook after audiobook because I'm audiological and I never knew that. Makes sense because I'm clear audience, but I didn't realize that as a youth. So it always made learning very difficult for me. But then when I found audiobooks, I was able to digest them so quickly and absorb mm -hmm. the information so seamlessly. I went through, in that 19 months, I must have went through 60 to 70 books. Mm -hmm. My audible, my audible library is amazing. I love it. It's beautiful. It's like my whole healing journey. Like I can go look at my audible and say, "Holy moly!" I remember every step of the way I did it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started creating coaching, you know, coaching programs and guiding people through their steps and leaning into my intuition and knowing what book can trigger what reaction within you. Mm -hmm. So it was a step by step approach, and I coach and I guide whatever coach guide whatever you want to call it based on my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the trauma, whether it's I was a meaner three times and homeless five times and made it all, lost it all, whether it was settling for the wrong partner, not only her fault, my fault also. It was both of our faults. I own that. I'm accountable for that today. Mm -hmm. Not having a relationship with my father for most of my life because I couldn't heal that trauma. You know, but the last three months of his life, we became the best relationship I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that it usually waits to the end like that. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I'm so blessed that my children got to witness human death in a very healthy way mm -hmm. because most people hide their kids from those things. And for me, giving my children the opportunity to witness death in a healthier understanding of it, because they all have their own spiritual gifts as well. Mm -hmm. I've learned through this process is to allow them to fully embrace themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not about what I want for them. Like my kids are, you know, like they look at me, even my six-year-old, dad, you're off today, go journal. Dad, you're off today, go meditate. Dad, you're off today. <laughs> you know, 
Like if a six year old coming out of trauma is saying that, that I did something right. Mm. And she, you know, like my son has seen me levitate while meditating. He freaked out the first time, but then he was like, this is pretty cool. He's like, how can I do this? And I said, lots of practice, lots of patience and zero understanding because you've got to learn. You've got to learn that you know, absolutely nothing. Mm. And the more you, and the deeper you go, the less you, the less you truly know. Mm -hmm. And you have to be, you have to truly be invested in understanding yourself. Mm -hmm. Like I call spirituality. It's the, it's the journey of self understanding mm -hmm. because every layer you go, it's deeper and deeper. And it's infinite because we're tapped into infinite. We're tied to infinite. We are a piece of source, which is what I call my higher power, but the higher power doesn't care what we call it. It's, it's unconditional. It's agape love. It's, it doesn't care what we call it. It just wants us to honor our direct connection to it. Mm -hmm. Because that is what is the most important thing, is to honor ourselves living the experience that it asks us to live. Mm -hmm. Because we all have choices. We all have a point. We all have a reason for being here. And we're all here so that we and Source can experience physical living. Mm -hmm. Because without, without a human experience, the physical living part is very difficult, or at least in this form. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people here are, well, uh, struggling with the 3D. I think, you know, I think there are certain ex um, external um, resources and stuff that kind of just lead you to dealing with the metaphysical stuff. But I love how you said about the 3D because it's so important. I always say people, to people, you know, a lot of the work that I do is 80% energetic. And then you've mm -hmm. actually got to do something as well. You know, you've actually got to do something physical or not, you know, and we talked about this earlier, the the surrender process where you just make space and you allow. And, and I love how you say that, you know, nothing because like I I don't know about you, Michael, but I sometimes sense and, and feel and almost smell ego in the coaching industry, especially. And people want to put themselves on pedestals. And whenever anyone does that to me, I'm like, no, don't you dare do that to me. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> I am not your guru. Like, I do not. I'm here um, as your side mirror. I'm here to make sure that you don't, like, crash into the rock type of thing, you know, <laughs> rather than telling you what to do because that's your job. <laughs> so I love how you came, um, those points that um, synchronize with what we do as well that's really beautiful um and how are your children now like your six-year-old just sounds amazing is it a he or a she sorry i couldn't quite so i have a 13 and 11 in the six-year-old it's girl boy girl oh, okay. um, and they are all uniquely on their own healing journey They're, they all have their struggles they all have their victories they all have i am treating them like i would have like a client or anybody any other human being mm. because it's a partnership in allowing them to heal at their own pace and it's mm. very torturous as a parent to watch it. And mm. it's very challenging at times not to dip into that human humanistic way of blaming and shaming myself. Yeah. Right? Because I knew what was going to happen, but I knew I had to leave to be able to come back and be there. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, the problem with being clairvoyant and claircognizant and being all these different clairs and then loving e clairs on top of it. Like the whole problem with the clairs is we start blaming, shaming, and, and really torturing ourselves for mm. not listening to it when something bad happens mm -hmm. and we also hold judgment whether something is bad or good which i don't mm. even believe in anymore right because it's all part of the experience 
something mm. is uncomfortable or, or comfortable something is discomfort or comfort you know mm. this bad or good thing this right or wrong thing is so much level it's just judgment on different levels and mm. we allow that to consume us and control us and manipulate us which is why i've done a really good job of removing almost all labels from my life mm. you know and i worked with a bunch of shamans i got ordained by two of them i know all these shamanic practices I worked with a psychotherapist and he taught me different ways too. And he was actually a, a shaman and a psychotherapist. So it was very interesting mm. because I guess really psychotherapy is shamanism, but science backed because they mm. know absolutely nothing about the brain. They know such a small percentage about the brain, but they have to say they do so that they can be a scientist, neurologist mm. and all these other things. They really don't. If you really research and look into it, they have almost no understanding of how the brain works. Mm-hmm. And that's because it's tied into infinite capacity. It's tied into limitlessness. And I always say the only limits that we have are the ones that we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's a very interesting process. And it, it's, you know, one of the things that I taught myself during this process was to unconditionally love myself again. You know, because when we come into this planet, we unconditionally love ourselves. And then life happens and chips away at it. And it's not supported in this world because the world is very conditional in so many ways. Mm. So through experience, we get these little pieces taken away from us. And I always tell people it's time to return to unconditional self-love. Because if you, it's not about me. If you can take those steps back to moving into unconditional self-love, you're naturally going to treat the world around you better. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of self-forgiveness, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of self-understanding, and it takes growing through the pain. Not avoiding it, not bypassing it, not spiritually bypassing it, not physically bypassing it. It's aligning all layers, my body and soul. So, you know, when I look at the mind... I know I'm going off on tangents, so if I'm going off on too many, just don't. You know, don't worry. I'm following. I'm just listening. (laughs) So when I look at the mind, I call the mind our ego. That is Mm -hmm. what I envision as our ego. You can't remove the ego because we lose our identification of who we really are. But you need to keep the ego balanced with your spirituality and your direct connection. It needs to be alchemized so that you're in this space of Everyone is equal. Everyone is amazing, but you need to put yourself first or you can't show up as who you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. So you don't harm anyone else. You don't hurt anyone else, but you live within yourself, but you always put yourself first. I even my kids even know I, I come first. Mm-hmm. If I'm not taking care of myself, then I can't take care of them. Mm-hmm. And that's just the truth. And we mm-hmm. learned that from my stroke last year. So it's like, you know, my six-year-old cried for months, not knowing why, but she was scared that I wasn't going to be here. So it's just this process of understanding and learning and being patient. But the stroke was the greatest gift I could ever imagine. It was the largest download I've ever received. It was, it gave me freedom of all attack, any of any and all attachments. Mm. It gave me freedom to be me. It brought me to a place of fully understanding and trusting myself to that level. Because again, it's never ending, but to that level, I felt understood for myself that I fully understood myself. Now, granted, a year later, whole new levels have appeared. And I'm back on that journey <laughs> of understanding more because that's just what it is, right? 
I've had many, I've gone into many of my past lives. I've gone into many of those experiences. I was trained by shamans. So I'm constantly alchemizing energy and I'm have my daily practices of energy work and meditation and all these different things I do. You know, when I worked with psychotherapists, so there's the emotional healing, there's the self-forgiveness journey, because I believe self-forgiveness is the way to heal your heart. Because when you have, especially in, in the spiritual community, when you have gifts and you have intuition and you feel like something's going to happen and it's, and it does, but you do nothing you start blaming and shaming yourself because I should have known, I should have acted, I should have done something to help people. But we don't trust ourselves, so how could we? Like, we we, we we bypass that step. It's like, you know, we want to be the most compassionate people for everyone else but ourselves. Mm. So, like, I've shifted drastically from I'm a self-aware person to compassionately self-aware. Mm. I, I went from loving myself to unconditionally loving myself. Because I need to understand to the depth that I can understand today what level I love myself, understand myself, and seek myself, because that's how I show out to the world. Mm-hmm. Because if we can't do it for ourselves, then we're not doing it for anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a reality. So I'm what I say is I'm the living example of my program because I created steps around my program. I am the living example. Mm-hmm. They are the steps I took from the accumulation of all the books I did, the 40 to 50 coaches, shamans, guides, psychotherapists, everybody else that I've worked with and was trained and taught, it's an, it's an, it's an accumulated way of healing, mm-hmm. Multi, multi-layered, multi-processed. And the download from my stroke was it's time to share with the world that you can directly connect and you don't need a conduit. There's no more conduits for connection. You need to directly connect to whatever you call your higher power. And that's the first step I take people through. And mm-hmm. my book will, my book that comes out 1212 will have those steps in it. I actually give it all away. It's in my book. And, and all my workbooks around each step are in there also. So there's actually going to be blank templates in my paperback for you to go try it. You to go work on those steps if you choose to. Because again, you can't force anybody to take the journey. It doesn't work. It, it kind of defeats the purpose. Mm. Totally creates too much resistance. I love, I love how you brought through like looking after yourself because I say the same as well. Because I think the world would be completely different if we all just learned how to love ourselves and why we love ourselves and put ourselves first. Because you can't give when you feel drained and unfulfilled. And also, I say, you know, my children um, are led by example. You can't tell your children to put themselves first if you're not. And they do as what you, they they follow you in what you do, not what you say. They're very observant children, aren't they? And they, um, if there's anything that I need to work on, it'll be mirrored either through my child's behavior or through their world's words because they will call me out on my own bullshit, which is so, <laughs> it's so brilliant when they do. I'm like, I've got a six-year-old as well and she will literally call anybody out on their bullshit, even if she doesn't know them, you know, she'll go up to people. She asked Santa yeah, she the other day why he didn't have, have no slain his reindeer. <laughs> yeah, they, have, they have no filter. It's the pure innocent of innocence of calling somebody out because they're not living into their words. Mm. It's the greatest gift for humanity, but we get triggered and we want to run and scream and react rather than taking it in and saying, I'm really not living into what I said I would. Yeah. Like we don't want to look at ourselves because we look at them as children and little people, and how could they know? I have these adult level conversations with my six year old. Mm. I don't care if she absorbs two out of the 72 words. 
she's going to remember that I took the time to have the conversation when she needs it. Mm-hmm. And she's going to recall the conversation. And the reason I know that is because when I say I'm going to buy something and I don't buy it and six months goes by and it's like, well, dad, but you never bought that. And you said you would. And it's like, what are you even <laughs> talking about? Like, and she goes, well, six months ago, we were sitting here. You were talking about this crazy stuff that I wasn't paying attention to. But when you said you were going to buy something, I noticed every word. And you put <laughs> into it. And it's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Like they're, they're, I, I love them. They're the greatest triggers in my life, my three. And they're all uniquely different. So mm-hmm. it's different facets of who we are that they reflect back to us. And based on their response to their trauma, mm-hmm. they're on their journey of healing as well. And I don't try to protect them from pain anymore. I learned that I can't do that. Mm. So what I do is I try to provide them the space to experience it mm. and allow them to process it however they need to. I don't encourage pain, but I want them to heal through it, not avoid it or bypass it. Mm. Yeah, so important to give them the tools. You know, I remember 100%. my child, she was, she was four at the time and, and I've been used to like saying to them, guys, I just need five minutes, you know, I just need to recollect my thoughts, just need a bit of space. She was like four years old. She said, mommy, I just need five minutes. And I was just so like happy. I laughed, you know, I was laughing and I was just a bit choked, you know, all the emotions that we get as parents. But to hear a four-year-old say, mommy, I just need five minutes. I mean, I I was 38 until I learned that you, it was absolutely okay to take a break and say no to people. I assumed from a young age, because my boundaries were just trodden all over by my parents, that you actually couldn't let people down. And you had to say yes, and you had to move out of expectation. You know, all this stuff. Whereas I'm like, if my child really says no, or 99% of the time, unless it's like you've got to eat your food, you've got to be kind, or you've got to go to bed, I allow them to make that decision on their own. Because I think that's how we create good decision makers, right, in our children. But it's allowing them to make the decisions. And it's, it's an uncomfortable space, and most people don't parent that way. It's not how society tells us to parent. Mm-hmm. They like to, they believe in this dictation model mm-hmm. where you tell them, listen to my words, not follow my actions, right? Listen and don't speak, and all these different things that they used for us because I'm 44. So our ages are relatively close enough to probably have the same archaic BS parenting style, yeah. right? Because it's the same, same generational BS, different ways, but same gener- generational crap. And it, it's not their fault either. Mm. it's just they didn't want to go against the system mm. and they were taught that if you have kids then you put them to a babysitter and you still have your life and all these different things mm. what i've learned is i don't need my own life i already have my life mm. why do i need to create separation and division within myself to be a parent to be a single father to be this to be that i'm just me Mm. and my life is fully embodied and encompassed, encompassed all the different facets. Mm. I don't have to, you know, separate myself and say, I need a babysitter so I can go out on a date or go do this or go do that. I don't need to try and chase fulfillment through external factors anymore. Mm. I am 100% fulfilled at all times. And when mm. I'm not, I feel off and I start looking within to mm. see what's missing. I don't play the game. I don't try to create different parts of me. You know, people used to say, well, there's a person on the business side. I said, no, there's not. There's one side. Uh You're one person. You're one Uh being. Like, you can't cut yourself in half and say, this is my personal life. This is my business life. 
that's not the real world. Mm. Like you're you're playing games to fit systems that weren't made for us mm. because we are so different and we're so extreme. And you know they push that external validation because it fulfills their desire. Mm. That's what they want. That's what the systems want because they live off consumerism. Mm. Yeah, they do. Then they want to separate and divide us and put us in competition with each other. And I always say to people, you know. I am not competing with anyone other than myself to be the best person at this and at who I am and, and know myself on a deeper level. I don't I don't need to compare to anybody. Like how could you compare two people? It's uh it's absolutely impossible to compare. Mm-hmm. Yet again, you know, in the coaching industry, there's a, and social media, you know, I I have this like love hate um relationship sometimes with social media I love it because obviously you know I connect with people like you Michael that I would never usually meet ever you know we live on the other side of the world you know um but also it breathes so much um space for people to compare and look at people's positive stories as if that's the whole of their life but you know in truth we all have the ups and the downs the sideways the back to front the inside out you know everyone has it and um when i am sharing stuff i would just share everything about myself i I, I have very few you know my children i'm sometimes on lives and my children will be in the background and i'm I, if i swear my six-year-old will say mommy that's a naughty word <laughs> like they know swear words but they know not to say it you know and they tell me off for it and they give me points for it as well they say mommy you got three points now <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so I just think I just take the power away from those words. Like my six-year-old curses like a like a sailor. I just <laughs> I just tell her it means nothing because those words only mean the value that you give them. Yeah. And it's only a societal standard because they mm-hmm. take it personally, not because it means something personal to her. Mm-hmm. So if we're constantly shaming them for what the words that come out of their mouth, then they're gonna want to police others. Mm-hmm. So I rather just let her say what she wants to say. She never says it in school. Yeah, you know, it's not appropriate because yeah. I took the power away from it. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it's just a word. Yeah. I don't care. Have fun. Tell me to F off. Tell me to curse me out. I'm, whatever you want to do. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter because when you need something, I'm still the first person you run to. Mm-hmm. Your actions mean a lot more than your words, right? Like, mm-hmm. love is not just words, love is the action that you put into it and behind it, mm-hmm. you know. When she doesn't feel well, she wants to lay down next to me all day. When she feels well, she wants nothing to do with me. And that's fine, too. <laughs> and it's, it's all okay. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. just taking the time to understand. And we can't understand others if we're not willing to understand ourselves. And I know we're getting it's getting late. I gotta, I'm i looking at the clock, and it's almost time to wake up my kids. So it's Oh, like, okay. I don't want to keep I, you over. Um, just one quick question before you go, and then we'll talk about how people sure. can find you. Like, What would be your definition, Michael, of unconditional love? Embracing, understanding that we are all a work in progress. That's why I call my life a permanent state of growing forward because I'm always growing forward. I don't say go through, I say grow through. Um, And understanding that we do the best that we can at every given moment, no matter what the circumstance is. Mm. It's really loving the flaws, loving the strengths, loving everything about me, no matter what I'm doing. Doesn't mean I don't evolve and grow forward every day. Doesn't mean I don't want to lose a little bit of weight. Doesn't mean that I don't want to quit smoking. But it does mean that I love myself where I'm at as well. 
Mm. I just unconditionally love myself. There's no conditions to my love. Mm. It's basically the opposite of what the world tells you. Just yeah. do the opposite of what the world tells you to be the most successful <laughs> person on the planet. Yeah. Because you don't care what the world wants. Yeah, don't, you don't care don't what the world listen. wants. Right. <laughs> don't you listen. Don't listen and do what you want. <laughs> because the minute you release those ex- external expectations and their way of doing things, it just doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Like, you don't try to live into anything you're not because you're not trying to fulfill what somebody else wants from you. I agree. So it, it's yeah. just a beautiful thing at some point. To have no rules, you just feel like a total badass as well. So it feels good. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, right, Michael's got to go and get his kids out. He's got two, uh, three kids. So um, quickly, then, Michael, how can people find you? Like, what's the best medium to contact you or stalk you or you know, uh, find out what you're about? Instagram or LinkedIn. And I'm the only Michael Petarano in the world that has my name spelled this way. So, you know, it's easy to find me. Uh, you can Google search me and you'll find tons of crap. You'll find tons of crap. You'll find GoFundMe, <laughs> GoFundMe's from a house fire in 2015, a GoFundMe from when I first got to Arkansas because I had no options to help support my kids while fighting for them. You'll find all sorts of crap on there. Maybe even find my DUI photo from 2004. Who knows? I actually had hair then, so it might be interesting to look at. If you could find it, send me a copy. Um, <laughs> it was hysterical. I looked like a nut job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm easy to find. I don't hide. Everything is for the world to see. I'm transparent because then I have nothing to hide. Because if I don't hide from the world and I don't hide from myself and I can just be honest on my journey mm. and that's all I care about. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. It doesn't matter to me. My book comes out 1212. There'll be links for that all over the place. If you want to learn how I, what I really went through and how I healed through it and grew from it. And that's it. Like I'm just here. I'm here to be a living example of my way of life. Mm. That's all I am. I love that. Thank you so much, Michael. So um, we're going to let you go because obviously I'm a parent as well. I know how much uh, organization and chaos that brings to your life at times. Um, I'm going to let you go. And just thank you so much. So what we'll do where everyone is, we will share your links where people can find mm-hmm. you just to make it super easy. We'll share a link for your book as well, where people can go and read more about it and buy if they want to. And uh Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been amazing meeting you. And thank you for being the first guy. I really hope now that it will kind of open the floodgate to bring more men in because I really want like a real balanced, um, you know, view because it's really important to me to get all stories from everybody. That's what this platform is here for, for anyone. So thank you so much, Michael, again. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. I'm honored. I really am. I appreciate it. So thank you. It was awesome. Cool.